Where do children fit into the Missio Day? After all, this project of building Christendom is generational work. The work we do in our lifetimes may only be the act of clearing the rubble off the building site. If this mission is to be passed on, how should we approach our children? We could assume that our children will catch the vision through observation. We could hope that our children would walk in our footsteps because of the nobleness of the task. But we will not approach our children like this. Instead, we will diligently teach them and win their hearts to the mission of God. We will win their hearts like Philip won the heart of his son, Alexander. When Alexander the Great was just a youth, some horse merchants brought a horse to his father Philip, offering to sell him for 13 talents. But when they went into the field to try him, they found him so vicious and unmanageable that he reared up when they attempted to mount him. The horse would not endure the voice of any of Philip's horsemen. It was at this time when they were leading the horse away as a wild and useless beast that Alexander shouted, What an excellent horse do they lose for want of address and boldness to manage him. His father Philip ignored the youth at first, but when Alexander persisted repeating himself loudly, Philip looked at the boy and found that he was angered to see the horse sent away. The father said to his boy, Do you reproach those who are older than yourself, as if you could manage this horse any better than they? Straight-spined Alexander replied, I could manage this horse better than the others do. What will you forfeit in your rashness if you cannot manage him better, replied his father. He answered, I will pay the whole price of the horse. At this, the whole company fell laughing at the youth. And as soon as the wager was settled among them, Alexander immediately ran to the horse and taking hold of the bridle, turned him directly into the sun, having, it seems, observed that he was disturbed at and afraid of the motion of his own shadow. Then letting him go forward a little, still keeping the reins in his hands and stroking him gently, when he found him begin to grow eager and fiery, he let fall his upper garment softly and with one noble leap securely mounted him. And when he was seated on the horse's back, little by little drew in the bridle and curbed him without either striking or spurring him. Alexander not only found the fine horse free from all rebelliousness, but it was in fact anxious to run. Alexander let the horse run to its full speed, then inciting him further with commanding voice and with his heels. Philip and his friends looked on in fast silence and anxiety for the result, till seeing him turn at the end of his run. Alexander came back triumphant with rejoicing cheers of his father for the mighty deed his son had done. His father, shedding tears of joy, kissed his son, and as he came down from his horse said, O my son, look thee out for a kingdom equal to and worthy of thyself, for Macedonia is too little for thee. Philip won the heart of his son, and Alexander took his vision and conquered the world. The King's Hall podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. In the next few episodes, we will be talking along the lines of this subject, Covenant Succession. Covenant Succession. Woo! Yeah, get excited. Covenant Succession. That's right. And everybody is like, what does that What is Covenant Succession? What in the world is Covenant Succession? Go baptize your kids if you have children. By the way, Dan, phenomenal story. Yeah. That is a good I didn't write it, though. Plutarch did. Philip, by the way, means lover of horses. Oh, did not know that. I didn't know that. Pretty sure. 
<laughs> now that you say it, you're like so confident and then yeah. and then not not confident. So I really wanted to uh, include part of Alexander the Great's speech uh, towards the end of his conquest of the entire world. He's trying to send some of the the aged and crippled warriors home, and they start to revolt against him. And what he does, he begins his speech by saying what his father had done for them, mm-hmm. how his father had found them, and they were wearing they were wearing animal skins, and they were in the mountains, and he brought them to the plains, and he gave them good laws and enough food to eat. And anyway, it was really, really. It's a if you you should look it up. It's called the greatest speech of all time. And it's by Alexander the Great. Uh, there's a really cool rendering of it on YouTube, but it, it essentially tracks the lineage from Philip to Alexander and what what they accomplished. Yeah, it's like this idea of like continuing his father's vision, and it is a really good speech. Amazing, yeah. Uh, by the way, it does mean horse loving. Horse loving. Yes. What did you say? Lover, lover of, of horses. horses. Yeah, same same thing. Horse loving or fond of horses or lover of horses. So there you go. Good old Philip. Good old Philip, the horse lover. The horse lover. And Alexander, but I think uh, part of it, right, Dan, is the connection that we see between winning the hearts of our sons and how that inspires mission. Yeah, absolutely. So I I know in the opening I had said something about, like, we hope through, like, observation, you know, your kids will pick stuff up. But really, it's not even, like, uh, about just passing down a law Mm -hmm. or discipline or good morals. Things like that are important. But even in, in the Proverbs, Solomon says, son, give me your heart. My son, give me your heart. Proverbs yeah. 23, 26. Yeah, because if you can win the hearts of your children, and mm-hmm. I pray for this uh, almost every night, yeah. that uh, God give me the sons of my, give me the hearts of my sons. And, and when we're talking about covenant succession, that's what we're talking about. Not just, you know, you think about all the places where you want to see succession with your children you want them to go go on in the next generation and have children of their own. You you know you want them to go on and have a job that they work and they're provided for and a marriage and and you want all those things for them. But the most important thing that we want to see, and it's the thing that God has appointed to 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 happen. One of the mechanisms by which God has actually intended for the covenant to succeed, for it to continue from generation to generation, is through the faithful parenting of fathers and mothers, you know, particularly fathers raising their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So when we say covenant succession, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about our children continuing the Christian legacy in everything they do, being Christians and, and, and continuing to take down that legacy of faith into every corner of their life so that we know there's going to be Christians in 500 years, and I and and I intend for that my family to be part of those Christians. Yeah, and I think just recently reading through Genesis, this is kind of the pattern laid out in Scripture: promises made to Abraham, mm-hmm. and then by the time that you see the fulfillment in Moses, uh, some 430 years have passed. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the really cool things that's helped me focus on is: okay, if we believe in covenant succession, we will not be able to complete our mission in our lifetime alone. Right. So we want to call our sons to continue that work and that mission, which is Christendom, but it's unique to each one of us. Um, and yeah. so we're, we're joining, you know, side by side with our sons and saying, as Dan said, give us your heart, yep. join in this work. And we realize it's, it's a tougher task then because we have to compel them, not just by force, but 
you have to win their heart and say, this yep. is this is a worthy glory to pursue. Yeah, we want to train them to love what is lovely and to hate what is detestable. We want to train their affections. We want to train them so they're not like First Samuel 2 with Eli's sons who were worthless sons and went on to end his line and his legacy. You know, God, God cut them off. How much success would you have? How much personal success could outweigh your children being worthless men? None. None. We want to see our children continue in the covenant. Yeah, I know one of the discussions that we may have had on this episode, but I've definitely talked to other places, is when we're talking about the intentionally barren mm, yeah. couple. You yeah. know, they're like, well, you don't have to have kids. Yeah. And so they're choosing to never have children yeah. their entire life. And it, in one, one instance, I was counseling a couple that was talking like this. And yeah. I said, if you look at the scriptures... One of the worst curses that God will curse people with mm-hmm. is to end their line. Yep. Cut off it's their like line. They're, they're cut off. The earth will swallow up Achan and his family so that that line is done. Amen. Yep. Same thing. Same thing. And so what we're talking about in these episodes, really, in this covenant succession theme, is how does the church, what means has God appointed, really, to see that covenant succession continue. And we mean on a practical, obviously God's eternal decree. I know some of you guys who are like theology and you're like, God's eternal decree is what ensures covenant succession. Well, we, <laughs> we know, we know. But guess what, guys? God has also appointed normal, regular means by which he intends to see the covenant succession occur. Things like having children and raising them. So we're going to be talking about what the church Worship, education, vocation, these kind of means by which God has intended to see this covenant succession take place. For the project of this season to be successful, the project of seeing a new Christendom built, there will need to be thousands and thousands of Christian men and women who are equipped to stand for the truth of Scripture against the errors of both the liberal church and the pagan culture. This is one reason we're so glad to be partnering with our sponsor for this season, Reformation Heritage Books. Reformation Heritage Books offers a large selection of helpful and theologically rigorous resources on everything from biblical theology to history to blue-collar family discipleship, the type of library and resources that could make the kind of men and women I just described, grounded in the rich heritage of the Reformed faith. We'd like to highlight one resource in particular, their Family Worship Bible Guide, that presents rich devotional thoughts on all 1,189 chapters of the Bible, including searching questions to promote conversation and to help you in leading your family in such a way as to say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Tap the link in the description of this episode to pick one up today. Well, and I want to ask a question too. When you guys look out of the culture today, particularly even the culture of the church, do we see robust visions of legacy mm. like is that what the christian church is telling their people to aim at <laughs> and if not what do you see the thing one thing i think just right off the bat that you see is that when when that we do talk about legacy often it's truncated like uh, when faith. we talk about legacy yeah it's just faith doctrine catechism which we're gonna we're gonna talk about like massively important but what about a vision for christian living that would encompass every part of what it means to be human yeah. Like, what about that? What about Culture, raising our business. children? The total enculturation of the Lord, which is why we included things even like business vocational training on this list when we're talking about covenant succession. So, no, I don't think, I think any where you do see it, I think it's often truncated. Yeah. And, and I, I guess one of the things that, 
tell me if you agree or disagree, but when I look out at Boomer World, one of the things that they just drilled into the culture was my wealth, my possessions, for me, me only, you're on your own. Yeah, enough to coast to my last day, and I spend my last dollar on my last day. Can't take it with you. Can't take it with you. (laughs) Spending my kid's inheritance. I've even heard the older Boomer generation say things like, I earn this, you go get your own. Yep. I think well, as well unpacked. It's like a selfish child. Yeah. This is mine. It's my, like oh. a dragon yeah, but what, hoarding. Oh, man. Yeah. Did you did you just call the boomers dragons? I think you just did. A lot of them. <gasps> Only of, foolish boomers. boomers. Yeah, there's right. a lot of wise boomers, too. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely. But kind of like but, we, yes, we have almost you that, you're a dragon. zero teaching dragon. on inheritance. Uh, yeah. Scripture teaches that you, know, you are to leave an inheritance to your children. That's to your a, children's children. That's a responsibility. My grandkids should be the one most directly uh, benefiting because I've raised my children so that they are actually thinking about their children's children. Yeah. So it's this, you're seeing three generations at a time interlocking to work together for covenant succession, for the community to continue to be built, for the church to have a witness on earth in a community that has a foothold, that's transmitting the culture of Christ across the whole sector of what it means to be a human being. So it's like, you can have thin, like, oh, yeah, we're going to, you know, our kids are going to know their Sunday school lessons. Yes, but more. Yeah, so so one of the foundational passages that will be undergirding mm-hmm. this entire uh, few uh, episodes that we do on how do uh, children relate to the church, to education, and to vocation and covenant succession. One of the, one of the foundational scriptures is in Deuteronomy 7, and this is Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 11. It says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. And he will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And that again was in Deuteronomy. And so, so this is one of the foundational passages that we look at when we're looking at covenant succession is the seriousness and the gravity of the blessings and curses that come with uh, this covenant with God. And so obviously we could get into Presbyterian covenant theology, Baptist covenant theology, all those things, but we're not going to probably get into that much. We're not. No, no. We're so gonna, this isn't the this isn't the podcast for that. No, this isn't like the let's debate intramural covenant theology no. concepts or that kind of thing. So what we're going to choose to do is read that and go, yes, that is still true. That was true yeah, then, I, and it is true in some I, ways to now. I like now. that. I think yes. yes to that. Okay, yes to that. So yeah, and I would say for guys, if you if you're looking for resources, standing on the promises, Doug Wilson, like how should yep. you think in general? Yeah about how do the promises apply? How should you as a parent believe them for your children, pursue them, and then work according to them? Mm-hmm. That, I, I think you guys would agree that's a good... Yeah, absolutely. And it, Deuteronomy 7 obviously is preceded by Deuteronomy 6, which is the Shema Israel, which is yeah. to love God with all your heart. And then to, to, to teach your children diligently yeah. uh, all along the way. So, And, and whether you're a Reformed Baptist or, or a Presbyterian in your covenant theology. Obviously, we'd want you to have a covenant theology and not like a random mega church sort of non-denominational, just I don't really know what's happening here. We'd want you to have a covenant theology undergirding your thinking on these things. But whether you're a Reformed Baptist, particular Baptist, or you know, Presbyterian in your how you thread the needle on the covenant theology here, we should all agree 
that what does God say that you are to do with your children? Well, you are to raise and discipline them as Christians, Christianly. And whether as a particular Baptist you say like, well, the category is this or the presbytery, where they their actual status that God would say, we all agree. It's like discipline your children, pray for your children, teach them to obey Christ. You know, yeah, raise your children raise in the them. fear and admonition of the Lord. Yeah, no, no particular Baptist is is actually like going around saying like, um, you know what. I'm basically going to uh, just act like they're. I have no obligation that's different to these children than the neighbors next door. Like obviously, they would say we have an obligation in the way we teach them to relate to worship and education and vocation and marriage and all of life to train them and disciple them Christianly. And I've tried to speak really precisely there so that everybody could agree with it. I'm sure someone will be mad and send us an email, but there you go. Sure, and and one of the I mean, we I could have drawn from other passages. That, yeah, you know, like Ephesians six says, Ephesians six, you know, four. raise your your children in the the Paideia Nuthesia of the Lord. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of instructions for fathers to sons. The reason yeah. I bring up that text is because specifically it calls out blessings to a thousand generations. Mm. So you have generational benefits and blessings, and you also have generational curses. Yeah, uh, that are associated with that. Yeah. And so as we talk about covenant succession. One of the things that we're talking about is blessing yeah. our generations, those who come after us who won't even know our name, mm-hmm. you know, that we will be blessing because of the work that we do now. Not yeah. that you're saved by your works. I mean, I don't feel like I have well, to asterisk everything, but. But it's a good point, Dan, because some people actually today, and I think this is actually astonishing, someone on Twitter recently actually accused Toby Sumter of being prosperity the new prosperity theology what basically because he said that obedience is related to god's blessing and and i saw all sorts of people retweeting like yeah these the theo theonomic post mills all these guys they're just the new prosperity theology and the the claim was basically like um actually god says over and over and over and over again in the old and new testament that blessing follows obedience like guess in a real way guess what children obey your parents in the lord for this is the first command that comes with a promise that you live long in the land what, what paul that, meant that is like imaginary well it's in the new covenant oh. or in the new earth uh, they'll live long oh, in the oh they'll new live long earth. in the it's new it's a spiritualized it's, thing it just drives me nuts when jesus says hey with the measure you use will be measured back to you so give and it'll be given back to you pressed down Shaken together, running over will be put into your bosom with the Yeah. No, all like ugh, Well, so nobody has a problem nuts. when you're like, Yeah, the wages of sin is death. Oh, and yeah. So the no curses problem. of the covenant, you know, yeah. sinning, you will actually reap consequences yeah. in this life and the next. But as soon as you say, Well, obedience yeah. will actually bring well, you blessings, they're like, No, here's it won't. A, here's you'll a, actually suffer for that too. Here's another great example from this topic. Um, when the proverb says, parents, raise your children in the fear of the Lord or it, so that when they're old, they won't depart from it the way they should go. I butcher the passage. You know what I'm talking about. By the time they're done giving asterisks, you're like, well, this is a proverb, not a promise, and blah, 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 blah. And so by the time they're done with it, they they try to make the passage mean raise your child or teach your child the way that he should go. And when he's old, eh, who knows? Flip but a coin. See- and see, here's the deal. Modern evangelicals don't like the plain promise in that verse because they lost their kids. They, ex- exactly. And they lost their They're kids guilty. because they did retarded things with their kids, like send them to public schools and like not catechize them and not include them in worship and try to flannel graph them for 30 minutes a week and think that they're doing covenant. It's like, go baptize your kids if you have children. And then blame it on God. And then say, oh, it's just God's election. And this is the thing you guys, like, obviously I get a little fired up about this because I think that 
This is the area where under the cloak of accusations of legalism, the church has self-castrated. Ugh. They've origined themselves. <laughs> so anyway, moving on before I start origin shouting again. Castrated. Origin himself. castrated. That, that, was the, that was the yeah the he, origin the heretic. He was the originial. Or, yeah. Or, I mean, or some people. Original. It is a it, it is a weighty <laughs> thing though, Brian. <laughs> that was because terrible. we're told in Matthew's gospel that you know the angels of the little ones stand before our Father. Yeah. Uh, and intercede for them. Yep. And then you think about what's said about those who damage, especially eternally damaged children. Yeah. Let the yeah. B- better to have a millstone. Just go ahead and millstone. Tie a t- tie a fiat to yourself and th- drive it off a cliff into the water and follow it down to the bottom of the lake. Yeah, and everybody's like, "Yeah, we need to tie millstones around pedophiles." And but, but okay. What about the people who sent their kids to be educated by pagans to love pagan things and to be eternally destroyed? Yeah, what about that? Yeah, what about that? We have five theses that we're going to go through that yep. all talk about this <laughs> stuff. Like, so this let's, is, this let's is great. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to present the theses, and most likely the first question I'm going to ask is, do you agree with this and why? Yeah. And so uh, follow along. Uh, theses number one, children are one of the most important members of the body of Christ. And I know the, the guys, they both read it, and they're like, did you write children are the most important members of the body of Christ? And I said, no, no, one of the, mm-hmm. which is to say they're equal yeah, with they're, the other members. And it's important to say that because they have to get downgraded. That's, yes. That's yes. why that, it's That's important. why I worded it in that way. To me, so it's, do, it's, do you think that's true? Well, it's obviously true. And the reason it's important to say, even though it's obviously true, is because so often children get downgraded to like sort of an afterthought. They get or, sent to a different church. Yeah, they, they just send them out. They're actually, they are actually hindering us from doing what we need to in the corporate worship because they're loud and they're noisy. And so ushers come down the aisle and and shush the the, the family and say, "Hey, didn't you know we had kids ministry? Stop! Your kid is rustling around." Uh, so so often, I mean, think about this. Jesus had to t- rebuke the disciples. He had to rebuke them. He had to say. Let the little children come to... This is Luke 18, 15, and 16. Now they were bringing even infants to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God, even infants. So here's the thing. We have to say it because this is an old problem that persists today is to treat children as if they are a nuisance and an inconvenience, not full members, that they, they have lesser value, that blah, 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 come back to me they when you're 18 and married. resources. Absolutely stupid. And so, yeah, we have to say, of course children are one of the most important members of the body of Christ. Jesus literally said so. Yeah, so it, we'll get into, like, how, do the mod- how does the modern church treat children? Um, but one of the ways is that they view people through the lens of a pragmatist. As in, like, what do they do? Yeah, you know, what do people do? Here's your spiritual gifts test, so that what what can you do for us? Yeah. You know, here's your calling. You know, you're going to serve in kids ministry for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's drudgery and it's mm-hmm. it is actually horrible. Uh, anyway, but but even if you were a so pragmatist, what, what do children do? Yeah, even if you're a pragmatist, I, I was talking to a buddy about that actually this morning. He's had his first kid, and uh, I was telling him, I said, yeah, right now as a newborn you're doing all the caretaking, right? You're doing 99.9% of all the work for this child. Yeah. But I said, what people fail to see in the pragmatism department even is, okay, now my son's 15. 
when when I need heavy things lifted, I'm like, hey, can you go get that? Benjamin. Yeah, hey, can you go get that? Hey, run down there and do this. Like, they're so useful. Yes. And they're going to be the ones that we pass our legacy on to. So even even a pragmatist would have to see if you have a long-term view that they're wealth generators, not just... But pe- that's the problem. People yeah. don't have a long-term no. view. No. Expediency is the, is the virtue. Yeah. It's an is, annoyance. What can you do for me now? Well, we even had uh, on our church Google review. Oh, yeah, there was a recent one, one star. Because the, the kids, kids are annoying. noisy. And, 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 and I'm like... Thank you for self-removing. Because if you're not going to repent of that egregious sin, I don't I don't want you in my congregation. Right. I'm serious. Like, because that is poison. That that attitude is absolutely po- it's the antithesis of the gospel where we don't actually immediately think of people in terms of what they can do for us. Even though it's true on the long horizon, people are resources, not re- not uh resource suckers. But you know, you go, we should look at children even when they're really costly. And we should go, how can I pour myself out for your sake? How can I say my life for yours to these children? Because the Lord Jesus Christ says to them belongs the kingdom of God. Mm. Yeah, the review, by the way, what from, from Don, it's a two-star review. Oh, so sorry. he gave us one star. Two stars actually worse? Extra. Well, yeah, because it adds credibility. The algorithm the- weighs two and three-star reviews much more heavily than one and five-star reviews. Interesting. Yeah. So Don said, too many distractions with the babies and the little kids in the service. Not my kind of place. And I was like, it's not. Thank you for By the way, did you see we got a new review just a couple days ago? Yeah, wasn't it one star? From Mary. Yeah, it was a one star. She's appalled by you. And that you're a leader of a when church. When she says you, is there a Chinese man named you? No, no, no. I am absolutely me? appalled that Brian Sauvé is oh, a leader okay. of a church. Question. So there was no, yeah. Did she spell my last name right? Yeah. This wow, is okay. a troll. Good this for is her. a troll. Yep. It's just someone on Twitter who didn't like that I said my children were holy. Said you're Guaranteed. narrow-minded and misogynistic. Okay. Well, I feel like we're off topic now, but. You know what? Here's the thing. I am narrow-minded. So she's clearly narrow-minded too. And, uh. If she didn't think I was misogynistic based on the expressed worldview of that review, I'd be concerned. She did say there is some trauma in your life that has caused <laughs> this vile behavior. <laughs> <laughs> they always do psychology. They're always like clearly trauma has been hurt. There's yeah. <laughs> trauma. Did your father love Gay. you? I don't think so. And, okay, so we would agree that trauma. children are one of the most important members of the body of Christ. It is not by accident, by the way. That I put that they're members. Yeah. So theses number two. I'm just going to skip over that they're members, or do you, do you want to talk about that? Uh, I, I will talk about it if you okay. want to. Yeah, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. So children, I'm, I'm positing that children are members of the body of Christ. Full members? Two-thirds? Three-fourths? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Well, we're not congregational, so they don't get a vote. <laughs> yeah, they don't get a vote anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So th- it really gets into your view of covenant. Obviously, we're Presbyterian. Go baptize your kids if you have children. Um, it's interesting, too, though, Dan, because I would say even our admits, like, uh, we have Baptists here, but they're generally baptizing their kids pretty young. Yeah. So, I mean, we had a couple baptisms this weekend. Yeah, and I think even our even our Baptists at our church would still agree to a you know a, a like a fatherly covenant headship, you know, yeah. over their family. We disagree on time and mode of baptism, but they still fundamentally mostly have a covenantal view. Yeah, and they treat their 
kids like they're Christians. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Ex- expect to do obey all that good stuff. Yep. We'll move on because we could get in trouble. Christendom Bible College offers a one-year certificate in the humanities for students who intend to pursue a degree or for students who prefer to begin their chosen occupations upon completion of our program. Older students who never attended college or who went to a college where the humanities were less robust will also find our program stimulating and suitable. Located steps from the Ohio River in the town of New Richmond, we're unaccredited in order to remain free to teach as our biblically-minded consciences demand. As servants of Christ, we won't wear the yoke of the woke. Instead, we stand on the shoulders of Christianity's giants, not to stew in nostalgia, but to see through the culture wars fall to the glorious days of a Christendom still to be built. Our exceptional faculty are committed to the historic, biblical foundations of our faith. Come be a part of Christendom Bible College. Visit us on the web at christendombiblecollege.org to learn more. While there, be sure to sign up for our email updates and receive your free three-chapter excerpt of our very own Dr. Frank J. Smith's new book, Race, Church, and Society. Okay, number two, thesis number two. Ooh. Children are and should be valued by Christian culture more than any other culture. They Ooh. should be. Versus, so the way I'm saying this, because I realize that could be confusing, yeah, is that a Christian culture should place more value on children that you'll find that they place more value on children than other cultures. Pagan cultures will place value on children. Interesting. Yeah, I think that, I think I would say right off the top of my head that's true. Can you think of any examples? Yeah, so so recently there was a new mass grave found. I believe it was in Peru. I should look it up. I have a computer in front of me. It was in South America. It was the largest known one-time child sacrifice to occur. I believe it was 125 children that they found in a mass grave. Do you have it? Do you have it pulled up? Uh, stuff I'm finding is from 2019 world's largest child sacrifice burial site in Peru. And they found 227 boys and girls. Holy ages four to 14. Yep. There you go. So it wasn't just like, you know, we had the Aztec story that we did a little while ago and it wasn't just slaves, you know, that or, or enemies that they had captured in battle. They were sacrificing their own children. Their and, own kids. And so, you know, it's easy to look at Peru in, I believe it was like the 17th century, 15th century. I can't remember when, when they estimated this happen. But in the 20th century and in the 21st century, I don't know what the worldwide statistics are on abortion or child sacrifice, but in the U.S. it's somewhere around 70 million children. Since Since Wade. 1960s, yeah. Yeah. And so one of the reasons that that is, is because the enemy hates God and they hate image bearers of God. And I, I mean, I would probably be going out on a limb here to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, that I think one of the, the reasons that, that people hate children other than that they bear the image of God, because that is true but is that there's also a form of innocence to them and a righteousness. Not that they're righteous in themselves, but a child that has not been tainted by their own habitual sins and things like that, 
innately seem to have a stronger moral sense of right and wrong at a young age. There's also seems to be some innocence to children that is also despicable because the 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 wicked hate the righteous right. because it, the light exposes darkness. So you think about like you're not saying that there's no stain of original sin. There's no, 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 none no, of no. that. No, but but not that there. But there's something true there that you see. Why is it that the 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 demons will always seek to corrupt the children? And it's because number one, they they hate the image of God. They hate all people. But why is it that like Disney and these companies are they like go after your kids? How can we make as many tranny you know? How can we make cuties and how can we make all these like getting the little kids to dance naked for the adults? And it is because they want to sear their consciences. They hate relative innocency because there's relative innocency. Obviously, I mean it's stupid to deny that that. A, a five-year-old is relatively has piled up less sin than like a 50-year-old degenerate porn addict who, you know, is obviously that five-year-old is rel- they've piled up less conscience searing, so, so, you know, sin warps you. Yeah. Just the degrees of their ability to sin is limited. Luther, I think called sin, he called mankind in sin, homo incurvatus in se which means man cur- this like the man curved in or the self curved in on the self. And the more you sin, the more you curve in inwardly and the more bent you are. That's why even in the Ransom Trilogy by C.S. Lewis, the, the evil ones are called the bent ones, the, the L-deal who are bent. This is a really nerdy reference, but yeah. They're, they're, I'm actually reading it right now. The demonic, so. satanic figures are the bent ones because they're, they're curved away from truth. They're crooked. And yeah, so I mean, I think there's something there for sure. Yeah, so the other reason I think that children uh, should be valued more and are valued more in Christian culture is because of the view that we talked about in the previous theses that they are, in fact, citizens of the kingdom. That there's also a emphasis on life uh, amongst Christians. The, you see this with, with uh, Constantine, who ended the, or uh, I'd have to look at my notes again, attempted to end the practice of, of uh, exposing mm. uh, uh, weak or uh, crippled babies. Yeah. Uh, exposing them, essentially leaving them out to the leaving elements them until to they die. Horrible. Which was a common practice yeah. uh, for many, many hundreds yeah. of years in Rome. They didn't have plan B. They couldn't do it when they were small, so they had to wait till they were born. Yeah, so uh, one of the relevant passages to this point uh, is from Psalm 127, 4 and 5, which brings up another question that I'll ask at the end. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I mean, there's so much in that, just those two verses that we could talk about that for an hour. But that the the first thing is that they are they are weapons. They're, they're missiles, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit, but they're a blessing is, is one of the other things that I, I want to mention. The, this is the view of Christians to children is that they're actually a blessing and not a resource sucker. Yeah. They're not it, an inconvenience. It's interesting too. I, I was just reading about Alfred the Great in England. And so like they're trying to fight back the Danes. And one of the problems they had was uh, having enough population yeah. to actually be able to fight the Danes. And so for them, they were like, well, you know, they're encouraging their people like, please, for the love of God, literally for the love of God, make babies. Yeah. Um, so, and they're having to, you know, work through provisions and, you know, the best they can. Yeah. <laughs> Healthcare, quote, scare quotes there. Right. Um, but yeah, so in that context, if you want to conquer, take dominion, 
the first thing you realize is we, we need children to do that. And so yeah. this, this goes back to Genesis 1 as well. If you believe God about what he says about children, you will be fruitful because you see that they're necessary for this work of fulfilling your mission, taking dominion. Yeah, you're actually also just noticing something about the natural design of humanity that apparently was God's idea, is that barring the corruption of sin, and I mean that in the way that sin has created infertility and things like that, a fallen world where there's cursed thistles, thorns, disease, infertility, apart from that, or intentional intervention, where you're defi- you're trying to do something to prevent this from happening, the normal thing that God designed for a man and a woman to come together sexually in this covenant of marriage will be fruitful. It will result in children, and it will result in children for a few, like for two decades or for 15 years or so in a marriage. It will result just naturally, if there's no infertility, you get married at a fairly normal age, say you're early to mid-20s, you get married. You, you have- That's not normal for most well, of the U.S., yeah. I get married. It would be like nineteen and twenty. Early to mid thirties would be yeah. more normal. But typically, so, you'd have like fifteen years of childbirth. Yeah, you'd have about fifteen years. Even if you have a one every two year, like a fairly moderate pace, seven. The normal family would produce between six and ten children. And with you know, there's infant mortality. There's all kinds of things. But just think about that for a second. God is not dumb. Like God, God didn't design the 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 menopause time and the fertility window. He could have made it five years. He could have made it 10 years. He could have made it eight years. Instead, he made it 15 or 20 years. And, and you just look at that and you go, huh, it seems like God intended for something to happen and that something to be fruitfulness. And then he goes and when he talks about it, when God's like, now I'm going to explain this to you, he's like, and that, by the way, is a blessing. That's a, I've given you a gift in that. You're welcome. <laughs> and so often people in their sinfulness Non-Christian cultures do this. Increasingly, weak and effeminate Christian culture and sinful Christian culture has agreed with this and basically treated children as an accessory that you accessorize your marriage with for your convenience. (laughs) That is so stupid. It's actually like Gregory, Shane, Shane Gregory Morris. Shane Morris? From yes. the upstream or the cult, I can't remember. Colton Center, Colson Center for Culture, whatever. I can't remember. Sorry, Shane. Gregory Shane Morris. There you go. Sorry, Gregory Shane Morris, which is sounds like an author name. He tweeted that tweet about how like, hey, these 40-year-old and getting into the 40-plus-year-old millennial kind of generation, are they're being very cavalier about having no children. What are you going to do when, like, is your dog going to visit you in the nursing home? And it got like totally ratioed, kind of. I mean, like 40,000 people liked it too, but- you look at that and you go, that's the, that is a perfect comment, commentary on the state of our culture because they hate God's natural design and they hate what God has said in his supernatural revelation about children. They hate both of it because they hate God. And what they actually are end up doing is they're just harming themselves. They're just hurting themselves. Like, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So I started reading, I don't know how you say it, Humanae Vitae. Oh, yeah. From uh, Pope John Paul, I think. Yeah, the yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, but on, you know, this, uh, several, several decades ago, and they're talking about the Catholics, they're talking about why abortion and the birth control, you know, the pill, all that is so bad and what it's going to lead to. Mm-hmm. And I remember like 20 years ago reading that and being like, oh, the Catholics. And being like, that's a little extreme. Their fertility. And now you read it and it's like, this is the most biting commentary on our time. Because mm. he, he basically said, look, 
the pill is going to create a culture of death. So true. And what's crazy, even in reform circles, you have pastors who are like, you know what's a blessing is the pill. Ugh. But but then you you know, think about, you know, complementarianism, John Piper, Wayne Grudem. They write that book and it's about men and women in Christ. Mm-hmm. The opening chapters of Genesis open with, you know, talking about men and women, fruitfulness. Yeah, fruitfulness. They open their book and they're like, you know what's really glorious is singlehood. Singleness. Yeah. Singleness. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I think um, this is not this is culturally driven, not biblically driven. Yeah, I, I don't think you're reading the book of nature or the book of scripture properly. So I think the reality is, and my point in all this is that Dan's absolutely right. In the church, we should have a high view of yeah. children. However, I would say in, in the majority of the evangelical church, the birth rights would say that, that we don't value them. <sighs> yeah. So have lots of children, but so... I know some people hear this, and maybe it's a very small majority, yeah. minority, a small majority. Anyway, a small <laughs> minority, but they'll say things like, oh, so you're part of the quiver full movement. Right, of course. Yeah. So so what do you guys think about that? I, Quite honestly, I hadn't heard about it in, uh-huh. until recently yeah. as, a, as a thing. Yeah, so the we were in churches where you had some people uh, in the mid, I guess the Midwest, um, we had some people who would proudly say we're quiver full. Um, above Ruby's, Nancy Campbell, um, they've sort of been in that camp. Um, and then also the Duggars uh, would be another. Um, so generally speaking, they're, they're going to say like, you know, fertility at all costs, militant fecundity is what is often referred to. What a, what a based <laughs> militant, <laughs> militant fecundity. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never heard that. So I think- I'm making a t-shirt for that. I think I'm what sorry. what they would they would generally reject things and, and it depends. I, I don't want to you know put it, words in anyone's mouth, but a lot of them would re- reject any sort of uh, natural family planning, any sex act that was not that, where you prohibited procreation as right. sinful. Um, and to be fair, when you read Calvin and Luther, uh, they're a lot closer to that than than people who haven't read them think. Here here's one of the plays that will get run on you if you are any kind of conservative Christian. People will come up with a derogatory slander term yep. that's supposed to communicate basically their disdain for working class Christian normies as dumb idiots. And that what you need is our very nuanced ivory tower position on fecundity and on f- fertility and, and Christians having children. And and really, but they'll never actually, you can't pin them down, number one. You're like, well, what what do you mean? Like, are you, you, you hate this quiverful thing. Are you like... Is birth control good? What do you think about the abortifacent nature of birth, of chemical birth control? What do you think about all these downstream effects of a society built on it? Like, you, it, And they won't be pinned down because they're all nuanced, bros. And, and so on the one hand, one instinct I have is to be like, okay, I'm, I'm unwilling to entirely adopt anybody's thing, like quiverful, whatever. I'm sure it has roots in the early 20th century, and this guy wrote this, and this guy said this. Sure, but let's be honest here. The generally historic Christian position on these things across thousands of years at this point is pretty skeptical of human contraceptive efforts. And whether you hate that or not, that is the historical fact. Yeah, I so I actually brought this up on Twitter one time, and I was kind of like, yeah, some of these quiverful people kind of rub me the wrong way. And there are definitely people... So one of the issues where I get into is like the health of the mother. Yeah. Um, so doctors, like good Christian wise doctors will actually say like, hey, you need to like so find a way to hit the pause button here because yeah. 
this could be dangerous. A lot of them would be like, can't stop, won't stop. (laughs) (laughs) But a a lot of the people would just say, it it would get into like prosperity gospel theology where they're like, well, you just need more faith. And I'm like, well, you know, faith says read the Bible and the Bible says the land even needs rest. Yes. So and if, land and womb are connected in a typological yeah, fashion. Fertility. In yeah. Um, so if we let things rest, there's there's a case to be made yeah. for that. How you do it, I think, is another question. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that in the midst of all of that discussion, I started reading uh, Calvin. Yeah. And and again, Luther. And then I was actually shocked with like the people we we say we're reformers, and and Doug Wilson has made a case that's kind of pro birth control. And he even has to admit in making his case, this isn't the the historical reform position. Right. You have to start by admitting that. And then when you make your justification, it better be a good one. So when you're going to move an ancient landmark, you make sure that you know your business. You make sure you know why they put that landmark there. So this is a question where Christians, because technology has allowed us to outpace our maturity, have been altogether too cavalier about moving ancient landmarks. So instead of just going... Well, obviously, it's it's absurd to say that we should not intervene in Christian fertility, so therefore we should intervene in Christian fertility. Stop and think, maybe they actually had knew something about the nature of human sinfulness as it works out culturally that would mean we should actually be pretty pretty slow in this area. If anything, we should be erring on the side of fruitfulness. Yes. So uh, 100%, my caveats are pr- similar to yours. Yeah. Yeah, men don't be like, don't be naming and claiming prosperity. Like if you just had enough faith, your wife wouldn't have medical issues in pregnancy. That's not the way disease works in scripture. Sorry, it's just not. We're not prosperity theologians. We're not health, wealth, and prosperity guys. Um, Yeah, use wisdom. God absolutely was not, uh, didn't make it so that we would notice things about the fertility cycle of a woman. Yeah, God made it a cycle and not just random. Yeah. yeah, it's not just random. He could have made it random again. He didn't. So it's perfectly acceptable, in my opinion, to notice that and to plan for your children, to plan and even influence how fertility works in your home. I'm fine with all of those things, and the principles I think are good and can be biblically demonstrated. Like you say, with land and rest, providing for your family, all of those things. But what our culture needs to hear far more than that and this is why I'm so strong the other way. Yeah, they don't need that message mostly. They, they're they like, our culture needs to hear, no, children are a blessing, and our, you're swimming in a culture of death. So you need to make sure you understand that those waters are on you, and your thinking is shaped by this. When you even think about like Song of Solomon, like this, this intensely, in marriage, intensely mm-hmm. sexual uh, book by yeah. metaphor and symbolism and all yeah. this, but it's in a garden, and in the garden... Everything surrounding their relationship is, their intimate relationship, is fruit. It's blooming and fruitful. Yeah, so obviously the connection there is, it's weird, like in our culture, we we seem to quote-unquote love sex, Mm -hmm. meaning we're inundated with everything sexual, but it's like Lizzo in a trash bag. Oh, my word. Please don't bring that back up. I just, the image popped in my head, and it was literally violence. (laughs) That is literally, literally you literally did violence to me. But we don't think of... Like if we properly, in a Christian way, yeah. revere respect and, and and love sex and marriage, it's going to be fruitful. So that that's another way to look at it and say, is it is it doing the thing it's supposed to? Right. And this is this is again, you have to properly read the book of nature and the book of scripture. Yes. Because both of them come together to preach a message about the nature of uh, human fruitfulness that is obviously positive. Now, of course, one of the patterns in God's world as well is that every blessing 
can become a curse. And correspondingly, however great it was as a blessing, however powerful the blessing it was, it can correspondingly become an even more harsh curse. Particularly if, like, like with children, and this is where I think a lot of the criticism of patriarchal camps in the past have yep. come from, and, and quiverful, it's like, yeah, you had 27 kids and like 26 of them are apostate. Yeah, three of them are lesbians, um, four of them are Democrats, but I repeat myself, five of them are, uh, <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to make that joke. Yeah, so, so it, and Doug is good on this, I think, in saying, like, we have to also faithfully raise them in the promises. Yeah, Psalm 127 is a perfect example of this. You won't be ashamed when your enemies stand at the gates because you have lots of children. Clearly, he's not talking about infants sitting behind you. You have, like, grown sons who are, are there, and and- and you you don't even have to carry a sword or a bow anymore because you just go out and you're like, uh, I hear that there's a problem when the when the raiding band comes near. And all of your sons and your tribe and your brother's sons are there and they've got their swords in their hands and they're like, we hear you wanted to make trouble. And the people go, oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, there's, there's been a mistake. Of course, if your kids went and joined the enemy, they wouldn't be a blessing anymore. <laughs> no. They'd be another enemy. And it would hurt all the more because they were your people that betrayed you. Yeah, the gates, it's a really good picture because it is the center in a lot of ways of the city. Economic, yeah. Economically, that's where merchants would come and do their trading. That's where city business would occur a mm-hmm. lot of the times. And then when enemies would come and yep. meet. And so you have a, a couple of different facets to that, 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 you know, I pray that my sons would stand with me at the gates. Yes. Because uh, when enemies come against mm-hmm. us, that they would stand and yeah. be courageous and that they would have captured this vision yep. and that they would also, you know, be covenant members in the in the new covenant yeah. and that they would stand firm also that they wouldn't bring their father's shame yep. so that when business was conducted that they were the the shyster you know that yep. they were the ones scheming and they were the ones doing underhanded deals with merchants and things like that but that they would actually fulfill righteousness even in their dealings yeah. like that so well just as i hope that my boys will stand with me at the gates i also pray that your children will stand at the gates with you and unfortunately that's all the time we have for this episode and we have so much stinking more content yeah left in this outline and some pretty big points um that we want to cover and it wouldn't be doing it justice if we continued so we're going to have to stop right here we want to thank our sponsors First, Reformation Heritage Books. They've released some exciting new books recently that you should definitely go and check out. Heritagebooks.org. That's right. Okay. Yes, I love the confidence. Heritagebooks. I always forget org. if it's org or com, but it's org. It's an org. Yes. It's org. Yes, and, and also thank you to Christendom College for, for sponsoring us. Some great programs there. Some base education. They don't take government money. They are slaves to no one, not the government. Mm. And so... Go and check them out as well. And always remember, Festa Nolente, make haste slowly. Is that what that means? It does. I don't do this closing very often. And God (laughs) bless, and we'll talk to you next week.